Welcome to the Christian Life Austin podcast. Visit clcaustin.com for the latest news, register for an upcoming event, or support the Christian Life ministry through our online giving portal. We trust that you'll enjoy today's message. Thank you once again for listening. Get serious right now. Let's just get serious, okay? Let's get serious. How many of you made New Year's resolutions? Boy, the crowd's thinning on that. How many of you made at least 10? 10 bucket lists, 10 resolutions, 10. Boy, you folks don't, y'all don't enjoy life, do you? All right. I got a plan for you. I got something I want to tell you today. I got to thinking that wouldn't it be neat if we could, because most of us by now, by now, 40% of what we promised is gone. We already promised we was going to lose two pounds a week and we've gained two pounds a week since first of the year. So that's gone. They say by the end of Valentine's, 75% of your New Year's resolutions will be gone. That's just next month. That's the 14th day of next month. And by the end of February, if you're clinging to one, you're a great survivor. <laughs> now, so, so what, I, what I'd like to propose today, and uh, I think it'd be very neat. Why don't, we, why don't we start something like this? Instead of making eight or ten New Year's resolutions, why don't we make one? Just one. And stick to it. And at the end of the year, achieve it. And then next year, have one. And for the next 10 years, have one a year. And then after 10 years, you've got 10 things you're doing better. Instead of having 10 things this year, and by January, you're feeling all nasty and wicked and horrible and no good. And you feel defeated because you hadn't hung on to one of them through February. Well, that, 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 that idea didn't fly either. So we'll try, let's try something else. Amen. Uh, either you folks have, are, have not woke up yet or you hadn't had your coffee yet. That went over real good in first service. They was grabbing a hold of that. Oh, yeah, Pastor, that's a good idea. But let me try another idea. How about having a half of a New Year's resolution this year? Let it hook you. <laughs> Amen. Woo, I had to get a response somehow. I feel like January is, is a month to challenge people. I think it's a time to challenge and. And many of us, we live, we live in the mundane season, now hear me, from Monday to Friday. And Sunday's our first of the day of the week, and, and we get our boost, and then we live in the mundane season of, of Monday to Friday. But I, I, I want to try to make life this year, I want to try to make life a little bit more accelerated, a little bit more exciting, a little bit more blessed for you. I think there's ways to do that. I really, really do. And, and one of the things that I'm going to talk about today one of the things I'm going to share with this church today is, as Paul said, one thing. I want to talk about one thing today. I'm just going to, I'm going to simplify it to one thing, just one thing. David said in Psalms 27, for one thing have I desired of the Lord, and that will I seek after, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, and behold the beauty of the Lord, and to inquire in his temple, in his sanctuary. And it's an awesome thing to have that, that one thing. David was a man after God's own heart. No, he wasn't the greatest prophet 
Elijah was considered that. He wasn't the greatest, perhaps, leader. Moses was considered that because of his humility. Wasn't even the greatest king. Hezekiah was considered that. But David was a man after God's own heart. And he chased the heart of God. And he made mistakes. But he had a desire to be in the house of the Lord. I want to thank you today because your desire has been complete because you're in God's house today. I think you ought to give yourself a hand clap for that because you're in the house of the Lord. I think that's good stuff. I think that's good. And I want to, I want to preach. I, 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 uh, I, I, will, I will try to build this message in the last, about the last 10 minutes is when I want to, want to drive some things home to you and put them as, uh, as a hammer to an anvil. I want, to, I want to drive them in your spirit here today and maybe you will walk out of here saying, you know what, Pastor, you blessed me, you touched me today and I want to do what the Word of God asked me to do. Everybody say, preach to me today, Pastor. Let the word touch my heart. Let it change my heart. Preach me, preach to me today, Pastor. Let the word touch my mind. Let it change my mind. Let me leave here a better person than what I was when I came in. Everybody say amen. You may be seated. God bless you. are awesome, 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 awesome people. I am the most privileged man on the face of the earth. I feel like Lou Gehrig every Sunday. When he called himself the luckiest man that ever lived, he got to play for the New York Yankees. I'm the most privileged pastor that ever lived. I get to pastor in Austin, Texas to some wonderful people. So thank you. You may not like yourself, but I love you. (laughs) Amen. So get on with it. All right, let's go. Peter Goodwin was a lover of horses. He had a nickname, Uncle Pete. And he was once given the opportunity to select a coat from a herd of two-year-old horses. And he chose a somewhat ordinary looking coat named Bluegrass, Bluegrass. No one else saw the potential in this young horse that Uncle Pete saw, the two-year-old. And they laughed at him. They said he'll never run in the Kentucky Derby. That was the goal. But they were wrong. Bluegrass not only ran in the Kentucky Derby, but he won. Uncle Pete was asked why he chose that particular coat, and he replied, that it was because the coat had, are you ready for this? Now listen to this phrase, had the look of eagles in his eye. I want you to hear that again. He had the look of eagles in his eye. A man could look in the eye of a horse and see that he had a particular look and he knew that horse would be a winner. A look of an eagle. I wonder if Paul had a look of eagles in his eyes. Here's a man who was converted to faith after being one of its harshest critics and most intense persecutors. Here was a man who spent much of his ministry in chains as a prisoner. Here was a man who had an affliction which some scholars think was epilepsy, but he called it simply his thorn in the flesh. And yet, in spite of all the strikes against him, Paul was probably the second most important man Whoever lived, especially in the New Testament, next to Jesus Christ. Can you say amen to that? What was his secret? What was his secret? What did he do that we need to do? What put the look of eagles in the eyes of the Apostle Paul? Philippians 13 might give us a little hint. He said, but one thing I do. Would you say that with me? But one thing I do. Philippians 3. 13 and 14. Who's helping me back there? Philippians 3. 
There it is. But one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining, would you say straining? Straining forward to what lies ahead. I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. He said, one thing I do. And after that, after that colon there, he talks about that one thing. He makes all this next to the scripture one thing, forgetting and straining and pressing for the goal of the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. But I want to preach about that first phrase here today, just a moment. But one thing I do. One thing I do. There's not many things, but there's one thing. You know, in a world that we live in today, it's very difficult to get focused. Am I telling the truth? It's hard to get focused. Focus is a gem. In fact, we are battling with so much ADD and we're, uh, we're, we're, we're battling with ADHD and we're battling with all kinds of tension deficit disorders. And it's simply because that the world has lost its ability to focus. We have so much coming at us. So much information coming. The world is moving at warp speed. And if you and I were to, to hire a consultant to advise us how to become more successful, the first thing that that consultant might say is this. You're trying to do too many things. You've got to simplify. You ever heard that? You've got to simplify. Henry Ford, who created the Ford car, said a weakness of all human beings is trying to do too many things at once. That scatters effort and destroys direction. It makes for haste, and haste makes waste. Every now and then, I wake up in the morning, he said, with a dozen things I want to do. And I know I can't do them all at once. And when I asked what he did about that, Ford replied, well, here's what I do. I go out and run around the house. I run around the house, and while I'm running off the excess energy that wants to do too much, my mind clears and I see what I need to do and should be done first. I love that. So if I come by your house and I see you running around the house in the next few days, I'm going to know this message got a hold of you. Because we need to simplify our lives. We don't know if Paul trotted around his house or not, but we do know he focused his time and his energy on one thing. You know what it was? Serving Almighty God. Everybody say, please in the Lord. David said one thing if I desire of the Lord, and that will I seek after. I'm here to declare to you today, I want to, to simplify your life here this year. I really, really do. I want to tell you that the greatest thing you can focus on in your whole year is Jesus Christ. One, one pastor said, I'm tired of putting Jesus at the top and everything else below. He said, so I'm going to preach it different this year. He said, I'm going to preach Jesus in everything. Jesus needs to be at the top and he needs to be in your business. He needs to be in your school. He needs to be in your home. He needs to be in your car. He needs to be in everything you do. Jesus just doesn't need to be at the top. He needs to be in everything. Can you clap your hands and say amen to that? He needs to be in all of it. The Quakers, the Quakers have a saying that people who, uh, for people who spread themselves too thin, it goes like this. You cannot be crucified on every cross. You've got to choose what you're going to die on. You've got to choose what you're going to give your life for. Dorothy Haskins wrote a book called The Practical Guide to Prayer, and I love the book. She tells about a noted concert violinist who was asked the secret of her mastery of the violin. 
And the woman answered the question with two words. Those words were planned neglect. Planned neglect. She explained. There were too many things, she said, that used to demand my time. When I went to my room after breakfast, I made my bed. I straightened my room. I dusted, did whatever seemed necessary. When I finished my work, I turned to my violin practice. And the system prevented me from accomplishing what I should on the violin. So she said, I reversed things. I deliberately planned to neglect everything else until my practice period was complete. And if that program, and that program of planned neglect was the secret of my success and the reason I'm playing violin everywhere around the world. Most of us would not need much encouragement to neglect housework. <laughs> and us guys to even neglect work. But here's the secret to life. You cannot do everything. Most of us need to focus on a few things that really matter and excel in those. But Paul said, there's one thing that I do. There's one thing that I do. I think that every morning you need to raise your finger to the Lord and say, Lord, today, the one thing that I'm going to do is magnify you all day long in my life. I'm going to place you in my business. I'm going to place you on my job. I'm going to place you in my home. I'm going to place you everywhere I go. And why don't we simplify and see what God can do to exemplify him, himself in our lives. Amen. What a joy. So then Paul starts talking about, he starts talking about this one thing. Here's the first part of it. He said, forgetting what lies behind. Because Paul knew how to let go of the past. He knew how to let go of the past. Paul could have spent his time doing what many of us do. He could have spent his time and his energy beating himself up. Many of us beat ourselves up. After all, he was a persecutor of the followers of Jesus Christ. And he was there when Stephen was stoned and did nothing to intervene. And Paul had much to regret. And most of us do. And we spend our lives, oh, let me preach right now. And we spend our lives wishing what could have been and what should have been and what might have been in our life. Instead of understanding that there is a God that wants us to forget some things and not look there, but look ahead to him. The Bible even says, if you put your hand to the plow and look back, you're not fit for the kingdom of God. What he is saying was, you cannot live for God looking back over your shoulder at what shoulda, coulda, woulda been in your life. You've got to turn every part of you around because face determines direction. I learned this when I went skiing for my first and only time in the mountains. Amen? I was afraid of going over the edge. Hear me now. If you're not afraid of going over the edge, then you're not me. And it's okay not to be me. But I was afraid. And so when I was trying to make those S turns, I was looking at the edge. And it was hard to turn those skis looking at the danger that was coming. And finally, I slowed down, I, I, I snow plowed and I slowed down and grabbed a tree <laughs> and hugged it with everything that was in me. And I said, God, you're going to have to help me. And then I remembered the words of the instructors, where you see is where you go. And I started going down that, 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 that green slope. Oh, I was powerful on that bunny in that green slope. And I was looking where I went. And I never looked at the out-of-bounds lines again. And I made it down in record time, a whole hour. <laughs> what I'm trying to say is simply this. Where you look is where you're going to feed. 
And if you think you're going forward looking back in regret and wondering what could have been, what should have been, what might have been, you're not going to succeed doing that. You've got to turn your head around because faith determines direction. It's time to forget the things that are behind. It's time to lay them down and say, God, you helped me with that and I've been forgiven of that and I'm not going to be held captive by that because I've been washed in the blood of the Lamb for that. When Jesus sees you, he doesn't see you as the world sees you. He sees you through his blood. He sees you through his forgiveness. He sees you through the fact that he has forgiven every one of your sins. Wow, that's good. That's good stuff. And you need to quit looking back over your shoulder. Harold Kushner wrote a book called When Bad Things Happen to Good People. I read the book. I'll tell you exactly when I read the book. I was at a hospital years ago, years ago, when I read Harold Kushner's book, When Good Things, Bad Things Happen to Good People. And I started reading that book. And he started telling, paying, he started telling about a story that he paid condolence to two families the same week that had lost their elderly mothers. Two families. And the old women had died of natural causes. They were both in their 90s, but they had died of natural causes. And at the first home, the son of the deceased woman told the rabbi, If only I had sent my mother to Florida and gotten her out of the cold and snow, she would be alive today. It was my fault she was dead because this cold and snow killed her. And he went from that house to a second house. And the son told him, if only I hadn't insisted on my mother going to Florida, she would be alive today. The long airplane ride was more than she could take. It's my fault that she's dead. Here in one house, a man is saying, I should have sent her away. And in the other house, I shouldn't have sent her away. And hell wants us to always worry about our mistakes and what could have been. I stand here today, many times I have thought about it in my life. When my precious wife drove out of the driveway and went the wrong direction, I hollered at her and stopped her and said, you're going the wrong way to go to the mall. It's back this way. She pulled into the neighbor's driveway, backed out and pointed to her head. And I said, "Mm -hmm, you're a little goofy up there. But that 30-second turnaround caused her to be stopped at a light. And I could live in the woulda, coulda, shouldas of life. She would have never went to that part of town. She would have never seen that drunk driver. She would have never been a part of that if she would have went to the mall the other way. But I, I live sometimes, I've lived in those regrets. But I have learned to understand that if I live there, I'm going to camp there. And if you camp there, you can't go where God wants you to go. So what I'm trying to do is that some of you have got regrets from 2014. Some of you have got some bad things that happened in 2014. But forgetting those things which are behind. You've got to understand that God has a better plan than for you looking over your shoulder at what might have been in your life. Let me preach to you today. A psychologist, Dr. Thomas Gilovich calls it the regret window. He describes working with patients who suddenly look distracted as if they're looking out an invisible window. What opened that window seems to be the unpredictable. Casual remark, a glimpse of face perhaps. But suddenly the patient's voices would sound tight as if throat muscles were stiffening and their gaze would go away from the therapist and look out and fixed on this imaginary window just beyond him. What are you looking at? He asked one of the patients one day. And the man replied, lost life. That's what I'm looking at. I'm looking at lost life. My life is gone. 
And what patients were seeing in those windows were regrets. And Gilovich determined what he calls the lost lives, the lost selves a person could have lived or been if he had done a few things differently. And most of us have regret windows in our life. And you know that I'm telling the truth. But how to handle those regrets, that's the question. And then I read the story. Wow. Anybody ever heard of a woman named Betty Nesmith? Betty was a secretary in a Dallas, in a Dallas bank years ago, long before computers came out. And she was wondering how to correct the errors, the, the, the errors made by her electric typewriter. And she had worked and had experience working with art dealers and art painters. And she she'd realized that some artists had worked in oils had just painted over their errors. And maybe it would work for her. So she concocted this fluid of paint to paint over her typing errors. And before long, all the secretaries in the building were using what they called then mistake out. You make a mistake, just put this white stuff on it, just mistake out and type over it. And she attempted to sell the product idea to marketing agencies and to various companies, including IBM, and nobody, nobody wanted her. So, however, secretaries continued to like her product, so Betty Nesmith's kitchen became her first manufacturing facility. And she started selling white out from her own kitchen. And a few years later, she sold it to the Gillette Company for $47.5 million. I wish she was in this church right now. But I wish I could bottle. I wish I could bottle something for you right now. Because even if you're an old school white out or a new school delete key, a delete key, there's a savior that I'm preaching about today. There's a savior that I'm preaching about today that knows how to push the button in your life and take all that stuff out. You know, you know what I heard? You know what I heard about computers? I heard it's about computers, so you better watch out. You better, you better not pout, better not cry. You better watch out. You can never really erase stuff on your computer. Somebody knows how to get in there and get it. Woohoo! Here's a doctor of computer science right here. He can find it. So you better watch what you're watching. What you're writing. What you're doing. Hello. No, I'm making you feel more pitiful, aren't I? I'm sorry. But I know one. Named Jesus. Who can hit a delete key in your life and say your sins are gone. They've been washed away. I've removed them as far as the east is from the west. Never to be remembered against you again. Can somebody get happy about a savior that can still do that? Can you get excited about that? Hallelujah. <laughs> Hallelujah. Past mistakes, sins, regret drains us mentally. Paul said, I'm going to forget what's behind. Paul knew that the past is past. Somebody here needs to know that. That the past is the past. And it forever should stay in the past. It no longer exists. He said, one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind. That's part of it. It's not finished. He's not done, though. This is the one thing he does. I'm going to tell you the rest of it. He imagined a victorious future in his life. Everybody say, imagined a victorious future. There it is. He strained forward to what lied ahead in his life. One reason Paul could let go of the past was that his eye was so fixed on Jesus Christ, his final victory over sin and death. We all need a future that we can set our eye and our heart on. How many of y'all remember when you were just kids and you played the imagination game. Come on. Come on, let's have some volunteers. How many? Come on. I'm not going to have you come up here. 
But I was raised, you know, I was raised very poor, dirt poor. Uh, we didn't have enough, didn't make enough to pay attention. We didn't have enough to pay attention. I mean, it was sad. And, 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 and I can remember going out in my yard when I was a kid on the farm and closing my eyes when I was a little kid and I'd imagine stuff. Now you don't have to, you got it right here. But I just imagine stuff. I imagine I was an astronaut and I'd imagine that I was a fireman. I'd imagine I was a lawyer and a doctor. I imagine all that stuff. And I'd open my eyes and all I'd see was old dirt. That was just my Monday imaginations. Tuesday was better than that. I'd go out on Tuesday and I'd imagine I was a preacher. And I'd imagine I was a missionary and I'd imagine people were getting saved and I'd imagine that all kinds of people came to hear me preach and I'd just imagine that and I'd open my eyes and I'd see dirt. That was Tuesday. But I played those games. I imagined in my life what could happen if I yielded myself to do what I really wanted to do in life. Could I become that person in life? And I know that I'm I may be playing with your dreams here a little bit today, but I want to stretch you just a little bit. We're told by Bible translators that an unusual characteristic of the Maasai language of Africa is that there's no future tense in their language. To convey a sense of the future, the speaker must use a complicated sentence structure. Even then, the meaning will not always be clear. In order to help the Maasai people to comprehend God's promises, it's first necessary to give them a way to talk about the future. I need to give some people in this house a way to talk about the future. We all need positive goals in our life. We need things in our future that draws us forward away from what yesterday gave us. We need something to pull us forward. And there's no greater goal. There's no greater goal than to know Jesus Christ in the power of his resurrection and in the fellowship of his suffering. There's no better way to live this life than to really know Jesus Christ. You're going to hear me preach about Jesus this whole year. I'm going to preach about him because we all need to know who he is in our life and in our heart. I'm I'm a little worried about some people because you're living Monday to Friday. You're living the mundancy of life. Life should be excellent. Life should be abundant. Life should be glorious. You should get up every morning and say, wow, I get to live another day. Wow, this is awesome. This is a glorious time to be alive in the kingdom of God. I'm living at the end time. The rapture could take place any day. Jesus could come back and get us. And I'm alive to tell the world about it. Can you imagine? Can you imagine? I know many of you imagine things. And you open your eyes and you see the tragedy around you. You see your family broken. You see your home almost destroyed. You see life almost given up on life. And you see people saying, why do you even have a hope? Because without hope, we'd be of all men most miserable. But hope is the anchor of the soul. And I want you to have hope today. 2015 is going to be one of the greatest years you'll ever live in your existence. It's going to happen. I read about a college professor who gave a final exam to his soon-to-be-graduating seniors. 
And he gave them, the test was divided into three categories, and the students were instructed to choose questions from one of the categories. The first category of questions were the hardest, and they were worth 50 points apiece. The second category was less hard, but they were worth 40 points apiece. And the third category were the simplest questions, and they were worth 30 points apiece. And when the, when the, when the completion of the test, the students who had chosen the hardest Hardest questions all received A's. The students who had received the less harder questions received B's. And the students who had received the simple questions received C's. And they were all frustrated. And they asked the professor, how did you do this? How did you grade this? And the professor said, I wasn't testing your knowledge on this test. I was testing your goals. Let me say something. Let me say something. If you're going to choose this Christian life, there's going to be some potholes in your life. There's going to be some down times. There's going to be some up times. There's going to be some whirlwinds. There's going to be some rain. And there's going to be some sunshine. But when you choose Jesus Christ, it doesn't matter if it rains on you, hails on you, if the wind blows against you, it doesn't matter what happens. I'm here to tell you God's still for you. God will never leave you. He'll never forsake you. If you choose the hard questions, it's all right. You might choose a simple life but be distracted all the time. But somebody needs to stand up on their feet and say, I choose Jesus, everything in my life. It doesn't matter what happens, what rains on me, what comes against me. I will win in the name of the Lord. Hallelujah. Some business people are now using the word I want you to get a hold of this now. I want you to use this all week. Feed forward. Everybody say feed forward. We've always talked about feedback. Give me some feedback. Well, feedback means to go back to yesterday and talk about mistakes and problems and signals that popped up and how this went wrong and this didn't go right. And we call it feedback. And many companies are saying it's time to quit talking about feedback. Let's talk about feed forward. Let's move this thing forward. Let's go forward in the kingdom. Let's go forward with this business called the church of the living God. Let's go forward. And, 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 and instead of being reactive, then we can be proactive. It's, it, it's simply like, why not anticipate rather than just simply respond? Why not just start anticipating? Have you ever seen a, a, a pro tennis match? I've seen them on TV. I've never, I've never gone to one. I'm afraid I would get a crick in my neck doing this, sitting at half court. But have you ever gone to a tennis match or watched a tennis match? Those pros that hit that ball, you know how fast they hit that ball? Over 100 miles an hour. Andy Roddick's, Andy Roddick's serve has been clocked at 125 plus miles an hour. Folks, that's moving. And you've got this little old box that you have to defend. Can you imagine being there? But that man on the receiving end, watch this now, on the receiving end, he has to anticipate. He can't wait to react after the ball's hit. He has to anticipate where that ball is going to be hit because he can hit to his backhand here, hit to his forehand here, hit one real short out here. There's a lot of places. And so he has to see how the man is coming against it. And when the man strikes a ball, he has to be in the position to return that ball. If you'll watch those guys and those girls, they hardly ever move. You hardly ever sense them moving in that serve. But it's just an anticipation. It's just a step here, a step there, and then get to the ball. And then when they're volleying, it's the same way. When they hit their volley, that guy on the other side don't know exactly what they're going to do because he's looking to see what he's going to do with that ball. So he hits it, and sometimes they'll chase the net. And sometimes they'll back off, and sometimes they'll be in the other corner knowing, anticipating he's going to do that. Have you ever watched a fly fisherman? Ever watched a fly fisherman? 
Fly fishermen are unbelievable. You, you, you'll never catch that trout. If you don't see him on the dry coming to a, uh, see him coming to a dry fly, you can't wait till he splashes to catch him. You got to anticipate he's going to hit that lure. And here's the point. It may, it may not work all the time in tennis. It may not work all the time in, in fishing, but it works all the time in God factor. Why don't you start in, oh, hallelujah. Why don't you start anticipating? That this year, come on, this year is going to be the year that I'm going to be blessed beyond measure. This year, I'm going to anticipate. I'm going to move around. I'm not going to make God find me. Hey, God, here I am. If you want to bless me, here I am. I'm going to move. I'm going to watch where God's moving. I'm going to touch, be touched by the hand of God. If he's moving here, I'm going to be over here a part of it. If he's I'm going to be a part of it. I'm going to be a part of the kingdom of God. God, I'm here. I'm here. I'm anticipating. I want you to pour out something on me this year that hell cannot put under. Hell cannot take away. I'm a child of God and you are my father. Anticipate what God wants to do with us. It's a neat thing. It's a neat thing. But one thing, Paul said one thing. Let's put it on there again. Feed forward. One thing I do, forgetting what lies behind, straining forward to what lies ahead. I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward calling of God in Christ Jesus. Paul was not being pulled by his past. He was being pulled by his future. We must not be pulled by our past, but a victorious future. Now, let me, let me, I want to preach here about, about five, six minutes. This is when I really want to preach. may not be loud, but I'm going to preach. We often say about life that we're a product of heredity and environment. Well, Pastor, you don't know, who, you don't know how I was raised. Really? You don't know what I was raised in. Really? How come I read stories like this about a, a cocaine addict mother who puts a baby in an alley? And that baby's found and put in an orphanage. And that orphanage is one of those kind of orphanages that don't treat those kids good. And that baby is abused. And that child is not raised right. And he's raised in that orphanage until he's old enough. But there's something on the inside of him. It doesn't matter what his heredity is. It doesn't matter what his environment was. He couldn't be broken. Come on now. And he, 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 and he grows up and goes off to college. Finds out he's a very smart young man. Goes to med school. Becomes one of the greatest... Surgeons of all times. What about it? What about it? Huh? What about it? Don't, don't run that by me because here's the thing. You're, you're feedbacking. You're feeding back. Why not feed forward and say, what dreams can I see fulfilled? What faith can I have in God to do something great for me? I'm tired of living, living on my feedback and on my heredity and on my environment and making excuses for why I can't. Oh, I'm preaching to somebody right now. Somebody needs to put the apostrophe T out and say, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Would somebody help me preach right now? I know I'm helping somebody. Would somebody help me preach? I can. I can. I can. We need some people like Louie in the movie Unbroken. We need some people like that. I don't always advise you to go watch movies. But Unbroken is one of those movies that you need to might check on in your life. 45 days, he was adrift at sea. Eddie Rickenbacker was adrift at sea 23 days. He doubled how many days Eddie Rickenbacker was at sea. And they ate anything that they could catch, anything they could find. And then he was put in a Japanese prison camp for over seven years. And the man who was over that camp, who was over that camp, wanted to break him. 
said, I will break you. I will break you. He was his devil right in his face. But, 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 but Louis had made a promise to God in that raft that if you'll save me, if you'll let me be found and be found and, 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 and I'm found safe, doesn't matter who finds me. Well, the Japanese found him and put him in prison. But doesn't matter who finds me, I will serve you and I'll live for you. He didn't even know God, but he prayed to a God in that raft. And he lived for God and he died in the faith. Hallelujah. He died in the faith. But here's what I'm telling you. That man had been beaten by this kid because he was a fast runner and he ran distances. And in the Olympics, he had run as a high school kid and beat this Japanese runner. And the Japanese runner became the prison guard, became the captain of all the prisoners of the Japanese prison camps. And he hated Louis. He couldn't stand him, so he wanted to break him. He wanted to break him. And I want to tell you something. The devil sees the winning side in us. He understands what makes us winners. We're made winners because of who we're connected with. We're made winners because Jesus Christ is our Savior. Jesus Christ is our Redeemer. We're not winners because we're just us. We're made winners because we have the Jesus factor in our life. Come on, wake up somebody. Wake up somebody. You've got something inside of you that is powerful and glorious and wonderful. And hell's going to try to break you. Hell's going to try to break you. Hell's going to try to break you. But guess what? Louis, Louis said he always wanted to run in Rome in the Olympics. And when he was 80-something years old, he got to run the torch in the Roman, in Rome Olympics. He got to run with the torch because hell couldn't break him. Here's what I want to tell you something. I want to say something to you. Don't let hell break your dreams in 2015. Don't let hell break your dreams in 2015. Understand that God... It's pulling you. It's not feedback. It's feed forward. And I close today with this. Let me close. Arthur Irvin Stone spent a lifetime studying greatness, writing novels, biographies of such men as Michelangelo and Vincent Van Gogh and Sigmund Freud and even Charles Darwin. Stone was once asked if he had found a thread that run through the lives of those exceptional people. And he said this, put it on the screen. He said, I write about people who sometime in their life have a vision or a dream of something that should be accomplished and they go to work. They're beaten over the head, they're knocked down, they're vilified, and for years they get nowhere. But every time they're knocked down, they stand up. You cannot destroy these people. Wow. And at the end of their lives, they've accomplished some modest part of what they set out to do. He didn't say they accomplished it all. But they'd accomplished some modest part of what they set out to do. There was a man that I truly admired when I was a young preacher. His name was Martin Luther King. I used to stop at truck stops all the time and ask them truck stop people if they had some Martin Luther King sermon tapes. Man, when you're young, you want to get a sermon from anybody. And MLK could preach. He was a preacher. He was not only a man that fought for civil rights for the black man, he also was a man that could preach the gospel. And I, I loved him. If he'd have lived till now, I'd have met him by now because I really liked him. And I remember a sermon he preached one time called A Knock at Midnight. 
And in that message, he talked about a man that came to a friend's house to seek bread. He said, I need some bread. And it was midnight. He said, my family's already laid down. I've already put them to sleep. He said, but sir, I need just three loaves. I've had some unexpected company and I need some bread. And he said, everybody needs three loaves of bread. And he called those three loaves of bread a little faith, a little hope, and a little love. Everybody needs that. And when I was just a young man driving down the road hearing Martin Luther King preach those sermons, I would weep and cry because I wanted everybody, everybody, everybody to have a chance at the gospel of Jesus Christ. My mother, my mother, go ahead and clap your hands. That's all right. I, I, I still do that. My mother, my mother, when I was born, raised me up and said, if you send him to the darkest part of Africa, to people who have no light of Jesus at all, it's all right. I want my boy to be a light wherever he goes. It's no wonder that I stand here today with such a beautiful, diverse church. It's no wonder I stand here today because it's always been my dream. It's always been my dream that everybody counts. The Asians count. The Hispanics count. The African Americans count. The Caucasians count. The American Indians count. Everybody counts. Everybody counts. And you know what? I'm going to tell you something. Now you listen to this pastor. Listen, let me preach to you just a minute. You listen to me. I may not see the end of my dream. I may not see the fulfillment of what God has for this church. But I promise you with everything that's in me, I will give everything I have, every service, to push this dream that God has given me as far as I can push it with what God has got left in my body and in my strength and in my life. And when I'm gone, when I'm gone, somebody will pick up the torch. Somebody will pick up the mantle. And they will go forward in the kingdom of God. Because this church is built on a forward pull. It's built on a dream. Everybody needs a little faith, a little hope, and a little love. I don't know why you're standing up. Please sit down. I'm not through preaching. I know why. There's a football game on at 2 o'clock and you've got to get home. I'm teasing. But I'm tired. I'm really tired of people feeling like they can't because they keep feeding back, feeding back, feeding back, feeding back. I want this year to be a year of feeding forward. I want us to get a hold of something that we can't let go of. A dream, an ambition, a desire, a goal, one thing, one thing. Paul said, I'm forgetting and I'm straining because I want to get to where I want to go. And once you get that in your mind, there's no devil in hell can knock you down, vilify you, destroy you, take away anything from you because you're built and pushed and pulled by a dream in your life. Wow. 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 I never dreamed. I never dreamed. 
that I would be standing in front of kings and in front of leaders of countries. I never dreamed it when I shut my eyes as a boy and said, God, I'm dreaming today. And I'd open my eyes and see that old, that old farm dirt. But I promise you, if you'll put your heart and desire into something this year, if you'll say, Lord, one thing have I desired of the Lord, and that will I seek after. You're getting started on a journey that hell can't stop you. Hell cannot stop you. Hell will not stop you because it's greater than anything that could ever come against you. Dream, folks, dream, dream. Dream that your family's gonna be better. Dream that your job's gonna get greater. Dream that you're gonna have wonderful sanctity in your home. Dream, dream that the Holy Spirit's gonna baptize your entire family. Dream, go ahead and dream it. Just dream it. This morning in first service, I had everybody stand up. Everybody stand up and we're gonna do it in just a moment ourselves, but we had everybody stand in the first service. And I had them do a particular thing. And when I got through preaching, a couple came down here weeping and crying, just weeping and crying to me this morning. And I weep down and I love them. I love them both. And they've been married before and they got divorced. And, and they don't know if and if and if, you know, the what ifs and the what ifs and the what, you know, the background and all that stuff and the, the feedback and all that. And oh God, what up? And he walked up today and he said, Pastor, would you marry me right now? I thought he's asking me. I said, no, but I'll marry you to her. He got tickled. Here she come. They were weeping and crying. And this week, after 20-something horrible years of no reverse, no giving in, a simple message of it's time to feed forward, turn those people's lives around. And this week in my office, I will marry that couple. And I will unite them in holy matrimony. Ah! Somebody shout the victory right now. Somebody praise it. Come on now. But pastor, I'm in my 60s. I'm in my 70s. I'm in my 80s. It don't matter how old you are. Come on, dream. Dream, dream, dream. Jacob first went to Bethel. And the second time at Bethel was 28 years. 28 years for his dream to be fulfilled. Joseph thrown in a pit. It was 14 years before he went to the throne. What are you saying, Pastor? I'm saying you got to have a dream. you got to get single focused. you got to say, this is what I desire in my life and in my heart. Anybody have that desire today? Everybody say one thing. One thing. Would you stand to your feet all over the house? I love you very much. Thank you for letting me preach. And that concludes today's podcast. Thanks again for listening.